1: I've known him for quite a while. Uh, he's a—I'm going to say he's a Longhorn because he lives in Austin. If he's not, just don't tell Alan Stewart. Um, but uh, James is a client, a friend, and um, kind of a—I a, don't know if with the right word—confidant or um, kind of a. We, we we kind of brainstorm, kind of mastermind about uh, plans and fund of funds and other interesting things. Um, very, he's got very unique mindset. Um, and I, I really enjoy kind of figuring out how he's looking at things. We actually look at things very similar when it comes to structuring deals. Um, you know, how do you create win-win situations for everybody? Uh, James has been very successful in Austin. He is a, he's got his own book. Um, I read it when it first came out and I believe James, you said you were going to, um, offer everybody a, a free copy. Uh, as you guys know, at the end of the, show it's recorded uh jeff has to do his little magic tricks with it jeff and rob and then we will uh send it out tomorrow morning with a copy of the powerpoint i think james is going to put a link to his book i highly recommend reading it's very interesting um not as interesting as what you're about to hear from james but is james unmuted jeff
0: yeah i'm unmuted can you hear me
1: so yeah james why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll uh
0: well you're saying about the uh, that you know me for some time and i just remembered that um I think 2013 when I bought my first house, you gave me the first hard money loan. And <laughs> okay. we didn't even know that until like two months ago.
1: Yeah, I forgot about that. I <laughs> when was only you were saying
0: I, I I was the longhorn uh, hard money guy and I was like, Oh, really? Okay, that was my first house, right? <laughs> That's
1: funny. Wow.
0: <laughs> I only realized it like two months ago that you know you were behind that, right? So
1: have you paid me in full yet?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. And we also caught somebody trying to do a fraud, right? Remember? remember. Oh yeah.
1: Actually, you know what? I do remember that.
0: Yeah. Because somebody was like trying to, you know, take my email and send to you and ask you for money. You know, you're trying, I mean, that was like maybe like fifth or sixth house at that
1: time. I think it was Greg that did that. He took your email and then asked for a raise. (laughs) So James, tell us, um, tell us about what you, what you're doing in multifamily and, um, what you're expanding to, and then we'll um I'll put up the screen and we'll start talking about yeah uh, sure deals sure, sure sure.
0: So I'm a multifamily uh, deal sponsor syndicator, where we put money together and buy apartment complexes. Right, we focus a lot on Class B and C. I mean, right now more Class B, focusing a lot in Austin and San Antonio market. Right now, owning two thousand units. So yesterday, I think yesterday we closed our um, tenth acquisition, two hundred sixty-three units, which is, uh, I call it a COVID COVID deal, the first COVID deal, right? So,
1: congrats, man!
0: <laughs> thanks, thanks. It's I crazy. heard
1: you had a really hard time raising capital under one of your structures.
0: Oh no, no, no! It was Look, like we we raised it in five hours, hours. Yeah, five hours, maybe five three hours. hours, because after that becomes a sleeping time, right? So the next, right. I counted twelve hours to raise the whole thing, but only five hour waking up time, right? By the time. By the time I'm awake, I'm done,
1: right? So most people count days or weeks. You count sleeping hours versus sleeping (laughs) hours. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that structure on on how did we do it and why is it so interesting for a lot of people and how did I change my structure? Because I was always stuck on one structure. And when I wrote my book uh, two years ago, I was looking at a lot of research about different structure and making sure that I can explain it as... um, what you call as independent as possible right without any bias on structures right because syndication structures are very uh, personal and everybody have their own uh, thought process on how it should be done and uh, you know we want to go through that uh, uh, in a short while but I wrote a lot about this uh, two years ago on my book when I launched my book like uh, I think one and a half years ago is when it was it came out but two years ago I was already you know writing about you know these different structures so so about myself, uh, as I mentioned, focusing on Austin, San Antonio. More than 130 million asset under management now it's probably like 165 you know, or something like that. 2,000 units, 10 apartment complex, um, raised almost 50 million dollars. Uh, single GP. We only my wife and I. There's no other GP in our deals. And and I, of course I have a key principal like you know some people that you know like John Montero who helped me with the with the balance sheet and loan as well. And he gives a lot of really good advice as well. So. Um, we are vertically integrated we have our own asset management construction and property management ourselves so we have like 40 staff working for us maybe now it's like around 45 with the new acquisition um, we also I'm also author of the best-selling book and uh, sold 2,000 paid copies not the free one I'm not even counting the free ones It's just paid copies people are just buying it in Amazon uh, it's twenty dollars in Amazon and you can buy in, in an audible you know physical copy or even Kindle version as well Um I also have my own podcast uh, uh, which is called Achieve Wealth Podcast, Achieve Wealth True Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast, um, on also Facebook group, which is like 7,000 people in the past uh, maybe one and a half year, maybe maybe two years. I can't remember, but you know, 7,000 in two years is is, is is awesome, right? And I also have my own mentoring program, a small one, not a big one, but, but uh, I do have students uh, who are learning on the details of uh, syndication, raising money, property management, and asset management as well, so... Let's go to the next one.
1: Oops. Did I hit the next one? That was an accident. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah.
0: Correct. Correct. So,
1: so James, you and I, um, you and I have talked about this. Actually, we talked about this several months ago. Oh yeah. About kind of the optimum deals and, and basically, you know, I mean, you already know we're syndication lawyers and about 80% of our deals all look the exact same. They're all structured the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And especially if you look right now, everybody's got a deal everybody's trying to raise capital. It's the fourth quarter and nothing happened in Q2 or Q3. So everything is being compressed into Q4 and there's lots of deals out there. And so you and I have talked about kind of these win-win type structures. And it was interesting because you're the first person I've talked to in, it's going to sound, I'm going to say this the wrong way and don't take it the wrong way, but in the mom and pop uh, aggregation of multifamily I only mean that because as a corporate lawyer who was formerly a, a bankruptcy and workout lawyer I dealt with the large private equity funds and the structures look nothing like this and so you and I had some interesting discussions about three or four months ago and you were introducing structures that were very familiar to me several years back and those are the structures I like but part of the issue is you've got to you've got to almost train some of the people out there that you want to bring into your deals, how to understand these and why they're actually better than some of the existing structures, because it puts you and the LPs on the same playing level. And it's almost like we have to tell them today why they want to like these type of structures. It's still good for the GPs, but the GPs have to perform in order for them to make money. So what you could go ahead and kind of, uh, start this slide off. I just want to give a little intro.
0: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a few months back when we were under COVID, I was trying to set up a distress fund and I was really trying to figure out how do I make a structure which is very, very uh, good for the fund on the sponsor side. And also I want to make sure the passive investors are taken care of, right? Because that's how a fund would, would fly, right? Because a fund, when you don't have a deal, you know, you have to really sell the story of the fund, right? So when we were trying to look at that, and I think uh, me and Meryl were like trying to brainstorm, what's the best structure here for everyone, right? Um, I mean, of course I ended up, I didn't create that fund. I, I ended with a single purpose entity uh, deals, but that puts a lot of thought process. And recently I did a deal, which, uh, you know, after a lot of thought process, because I've been always doing one structure for my entire career right until recently right where I changed and put a lot of thought process into it put a lot of pro and cons and and I came up with a really good structure uh but you know as I said structure is a structure and we're going to discuss about it you know uh, you want to really see how it's benefit the passive investors you know how it's going to motivate active investors so so in my mind when I was doing this research for the past uh, what four or five months on what's the best structure moving forward how can I really um you know, first of all, convince the passive investors at the same time, convince myself that I am going to be motivated to do this kind of difficult deals, right? If it's, if the structure is not very motivating for the sponsor, I'm not going to do it because what's the point, right? We work. I mean, I can be like a normal person, like everyone just do the normal structure. Everybody knows about it. Nobody talks about it, but, but I don't want to do that. I want to do really good deals at the same time, make a lot of money for, for investors, make a lot of money for the sponsors, and everybody be happy but what is that structure right so so in my mind I come up with these three most important component on a good deal structure right so good deal structure you have to be a win-win between the general partners and also the uh, limited partners and this structure because I don't want to keep on changing structure because then you know then you you know you are you are giving a lot of different um, you know thought process to different people doing different deals what I said is okay this structure need to be Really good structure during all economic cycles, during the up up cycle, during the down cycle, and also it should take care of any deal performance of the sponsor, right? All of the deal, right? So deal if it deals doing very well or deals not doing very well, it should be you know able to take care of the passive investors very well because passive investors are the one that enabling uh, you know GPs to really do the deal, and I want to make sure that we really take care of them, right? Second of all, uh, the second point is basically we want the structure to motivate the sponsor to push for the deal performance, right? You know, if you're doing a deal which is, if, if a structure is very, very monotonous, very, very single motivation level uh, structure, then there's no uh, there's no uh, real motivation for the sponsors to push, right, uh, and, and you know, this is something that passive investors need to understand. If they really wanna maximize their investment, the structure need to be optimized for the sponsors as well to perform in certain ways, while taking care of their fundamental expectation of a deal, right? So, so that's why, you know, second thing is you need to motivate uh, sponsors. The third one is you also need, the structure need to be able to address a variety of investor uh, preference, right? Uh, a variety of investors, uh, you know, uh, expectation, right? So I, when I wrote my book, if you look at chapter three, when we talk about considering deals and you know, everybody have different expectations, some people have you know, I want cash flow. As some people said, I want an equity multiple because I want to multiply as much equity as possible when I'm, I'm when I'm really want to retire. That's why I want cash flow. So, so we want to do. You know, how do I create a structure which address that? Right. So, let's go to the next slide.
1: So, what you're saying is the. I'll mm-hmm. go to in a second. So, and and I try to do these as well. We've talked about this. So, mm-hmm. you're wanting to create a structure that captures the the largest group of investors, knowing that you can have four investors and each one of the four investors have different risk levels, different goals. There are different points of different points in their lives where you know, like someone like my dad is used to bonds, which now are garbage. But in the old days, you would want a bond that just paid a coupon. Cool. And you and I have talked about this and I've got it in one of my current structures and you've got it where mm-hmm. you're essentially paying a coupon. And it's interesting. There are quite a few people out there that want a coupon and you're about to go into this, but the reality is you're you're decreasing the cost of your capital by offering the coupon. At the same time, you're offering an investor an opportunity to get into this with very, very minimal risk. Um, oh, it's a great idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, you have to understand people when they, let's say you have 200, 300,000 to invest, right? If you're young, if you invest in three cash flowing deals, you are done, right? For one year, you're done. For year to you have to accumulate for another few more years to accumulate that money to do it right but if you invest that in a you know uh, in a deep value add you can multiply that money keep on multiplying right so so everybody have different options when when it comes to what where are they in their investment cycle and how much money they they have uh, to invest and in. what are they looking for are they looking for cash flow or are they looking for um, you know equity multiples right so so two major structures that a lot of people are aware of in fact i, I wrote in my book like you know two years ago as well because that's what i know i mean this is very high right. level there's a straight split 70 30 or 80 20 on the second uh, major structure is a preferred return structure right so we're going to go through that in a, in a short while on you know what are the what are the pro and cons of each one of these and and we'll discuss right so um, next slide please so on a straight split i think a lot of people are aware a straight split is very very easy to understand um, you know, people like it because it's easy to understand. You can take anyone from the road and say, hey, I share, you know, 50-50 or I share 80-20 or 30-70-30. Anybody can understand, right? So, so it's very easy to understand. Um, and also, you know, there's a lot of arguments saying that this is a alignment of interest. You make money, I make money. You make money, I make money, right? We just share, right? So, so yeah, I would say that, yeah, there is a alignment of interest between GP and LP. Um, but there's a, there's also a, a, a cons to it too, right? The pro is easy to understand A alignment of interest, um, and I'm going to go to a few more things as well, but the cons to it's like also this, you know, whatever straight split is, you know, you have to really read the company agreement and understand the structure. Otherwise you can go into different interpretation or manipulations, right? So the problem is not many people are very well versed in looking at the company agreement and understanding the structure, right? So, so for example, first of all, uh, when they talk about 80-20, what does it mean? Does it mean carried interests or does it mean equity split? Right. So let me tell you what's the difference, right? Carried interest means it's 80-20 on the profit that's being made. Let's say you, you have a hundred thousand. So carried interest means, let's say the, the deal become hundred thousand to hundred twenty thousand. So the 20,000 is where you take that 80-20 split, right? But they are also 80-20 split where they say, I give you hundred thousand, 80,000 is yours, 20,000 is mine on day one, right? That's also 80-20, right? But so if you say it very quick, things can change. Right. So and and you'll be surprised on how many structures are out there which have a equity split. But when I explain it very well in a simple manner, people say, oh, I wouldn't invest in that. But I can tell you one thing. Go back and read your company agreement. And see what did you right. invest?
1: <laughs> right. You should, have so, a lawyer. you should have a lawyer read your company agreement. Yeah,
0: correct, correct, correct. So it, it's it's no, there's another way of uh uh, you know, interpretation of 80-20, right? Sometimes people say very quickly, oh, I do 80-20, 80-20, 80-20, but the 80% can be for the GP, right? right? I mean, right. yeah, you, you think it doesn't happen? You'll be surprised okay. on how much within our network, it does yep. happen. It's just people yep. don't need the company agreement.
1: Yep. Yeah, so, I was
0: looking... Yeah, go ahead. go ahead,
1: uh, I was going to say, so tell us about equity split uh, from day one. You talked about that. Mm-hmm. What, is a, what is a swap share in sharing? Tell me about that. Uh,
0: swap sharing, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes when people say 80-20, 80-20, I mean, it's, it's a general understanding that 80% goes to LP and 20% is the GP. But the other day I was looking at a company agreement from you know somebody within our network. Uh, that person is doing 70-30, but 70% is going to the GP, 30% is going to the LP, right? So, yeah. well, I mean, if people know how I explain it, I mean, that's a bad that's a bad deal for passives, right? But you know, when you do a straight split, it's very difficult to really understand unless you go and read the company agreement. Right? So, James, so, are, you,
1: are you telling me that my last helium deal that I raised capital for, which was a 60-40 split, 60 for the GP, 40 for the LPs, is a bad deal?
0: <laughs> Good deal for the GP, but bad but, deal for the passive. Yeah, it, a...
1: I, I would argue for multifamily, absolutely. For other things like oil and gas. they're Oh, always, oil and gas, yeah.
0: yeah. I, I, I'm always, not aware of all that, yes.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. So they're very heavily weighted towards the other end. Because Mm -hmm. the return, if you hit, it's always a big if, but if you hit, you know, you're talking five, 10, 15 times multiple on your money, even at a 40, even at a 60, 40 split 60 going to the GP for the OP. But with high reward, there's very high risk. So the odds of hitting some of these are, you know, one in 10, one in a hundred, but you don't have the same risk with multifamily. It doesn't go to zero. Correct. Correct.
0: Yeah, I'm talking about the general multifamily that right. everybody thinks that they understand the structure, but you know they want to go back and read and, and see whether they really know sure. what, what structure do they invest in.
1: So the next one is very important. I think we should spend a, a couple minutes on operational cash flow. Sure. So sure. there is a big discussion because people don't understand the return of capital versus the return on capital. It's not that they don't understand it. They don't understand how it affects them when there's a payout on a sale. Because they're thinking they're going to get a certain percent of the return based on how much they invested, but in reality, they may have been under a return of capital structure. So there's a different payout based on how your documents read. You want to go into that?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This is very interesting because I think it's one of the very, very subtle. uh, You know, (laughs) it's just between on and off, right? So one letter, right? One one letter. letter change, and that becomes different, right? So. So let me explain very high level, right? In in the investment world, there's two worlds, right? One is called the tax world and the other one's called investment world. In the tax world, whatever whatever distribution, whether it's written on capital or off capital is always considered as return off capital. capital. So, so that's on the, that's tax, on world, the right? tax world, right? So, so we, we want to put that aside. But on the investment world, so let's say I'm not talking about refinances or sale, right? I'm talking about operational uh, cash flow from the real estate. So let's say you're putting in hundred thousand and you're getting 10,000, what that 10,000 is? Is that interest or is that your own money, right? So it is your own money if it's written off capital and if it's interest, it's written on capital, right? So any investment, you always want to make sure it's written on your capital, right? I mean, you you cannot go and put a CD for hundred thousand and get, you know, part of your, the CD, let's say they said 5% CD interest rate. They can't be like taking from that 100,000 and giving you back saying that hey, this is your 5%, right? They should need to create 5% on top of that 100,000, right? So so just because of that, when you, when you do a return of capital as part of your uh, uh, return, when you say 80-20, that 80-20 automatically becomes 70-30 or 60-40. And the way it happens is because the money is being returned throughout the operation, at the sale your bases have already been diluted, right? You already been reduced. So let's say you put hundred thousand for five years, you get 10,000, 10,000, 10,000 for five years at the sale, the sponsor just need to give back another 50,000, right? He don't have to give back hundred thousand, right? But on a return on capital, that hundred thousand is preserved until the end, right? So when preserved until the end, all the money you make during the operation sites are profit, right? Whereas on return of capital, you are not making any money for the next five years, right? Let's say you, it's a five-year horizon. You're making zero money. All your risk is at the sale, right? So it's a very, very high risk in my mind when you do return of capital.
1: Uh, it's, cash it's, it's good it's for the GP because the GP, now the GP only has to satisfy, in your example, 50 grand, and then the GP starts splitting. There's 70-30 mm-hmm. split. So it's much it's to a much greater benefit to the GP. So, you know, when you're getting into these deals, you want to ask those questions. You know, are you treating this as a return of capital or return on capital to your your sponsor? Because it is there is a huge difference. Oh, well, it's a huge, huge difference. Yeah.
0: I mean, you're talking about monetary terms. I'm on top of monetary is also risk, right? I mean, if you're a not percent. making money for five years, you're actually losing money, right? I mean, because inflation eats your money, right? And and the whole thing is contingent upon whether you're gonna make money at the sale because you're not making money during operation, right? So, so go back and read your company agreement, see whether you're getting back capital or you're getting back profit during operation.
1: And yours are return of or on? on? on of course, on, on capital, yeah. So are ours, so are ours. Yeah, yeah.
0: We, we always make sure that the uh, investor's money are preserved until the end. And only at the end when we give back the investors and then on top of that is where we do any splits.
1: Right now, a couple of a couple of deals I've done in the past, they are return of capital, but we made it very clear to the investors up front that we are treating this as a return of capital, um, but gave a very high pref on it mm-hmm. to help compensate for that. But you're absolutely right; you need to because there's so many different ways to structure deals, and the difference between two constants um, are incredible uh, of and on I. I, I, I posted something like uh, two or three weeks ago um, on COVID, and uh, it was just a, it was kind of a thing where hey guys it's very interesting the CDC decided to count COVID deaths as from COVID and now it's with COVID there's a big difference dying from something and dying with something a motorcycle crash you die but you had COVID when you tested that means you died with COVID and they're counting that as a COVID death before. They were telling everybody you were dying from COVID. So again, prepositions—you learn this in law school—change the meanings of just about everything, and, and of and on um, uh, are huge here. So yeah. So the last. And ninety
0: percent of the deal are written on capital. Now, very very few people are doing return of capital. Banks. Right. 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 A, a smart passive investor would catch it very quickly. Right. What are you
1: saying I'm not smart? <laughs>
0: No, you know, you, of course you know that, right? So,
1: so, uh, so the last one here is the motivation for sponsor. Yeah,
0: basic motivation for sponsor, right? So as I said, before this, right, I said there need to be some motivation for the sponsor to, you know, push the performance, right? Because they are making money on the upside of whatever they started with, right? So if they you know, if 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 it's like a straight split 80-20, there is no real, you know, what, what you're already flat 20%, right? So you're just going to let it flow for the next uh, five years, and you know we're going to do, keep on going for another deal. Rather right? than let me look at, let me look, see whether I can squeeze more NOI here. Let me do something more creative here, which is going to be a win-win for the sponsor and also the the passive is going to win too, right? So, so yeah, straight splits are very, very fundamental motivation, which is basically you know um, you know just normal motivation, right?
1: So right, probably, it's like eighty-five percent of the deals you and I see.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Correct.
1: So, so what, on a what's prefer, a preferred return?
0: So, preferred return means investors get paid first. Right. So, any cash flow that comes from the deal, investors get preferred return. So, so if, and if they don't get paid, usually it accrues to the next year. Right. So, that's 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 the meaning that I know on preferred return, unless you have other things, but that's what I, I see. Right. But, yeah, but so the you, thing
1: is, when you say accrued, you mean like a catch up next year? Catch up, catch up. Yeah. So they're not going to lose. Yeah. So, if the property doesn't perform, as expected the first year. And let's say they have an 8% prep and only get six. That means no one else is getting paid. They're going to get the first two next year to catch them up. And then their eight starts all over again. Yes. Correct. That's important for people to know because they don't, a lot of people, a lot of people that are listening don't do deals that have prefs and those are good deals or
0: pre- prep returns. Pre- I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy. I mean, as I said, I was like, really figuring out what is the best way to do a really good deal, because I like to do deep value add, value add deals, which doesn't cash flow very well in the beginning, right? Because we are going around turnaround. turn around, but how do I compete with another guy who's giving a very high cash flow? Because sometimes people say that, oh, that guy is better because he's giving me 8% cash flow. But here I'm doing a very difficult deal, which is gonna pay a lot more once the the whole uh, repositioning is done and when we sell, because we are bringing up equity, right? Equity multiple, right? So how do I do that? So then I was thinking, okay, if I give a pref, that means I'm promising you every right. year I'm going to give a pref return and I'm going to catch up. That's going to be a really, really compelling uh, uh, argument for any passive investors. People love that, especially right like, now, COVID, right? How many deals are not paying?
1: Right. right. On
0: a straight split. Right. There's nothing, right? If the sponsor stop, you stop. Right. But on a pref, your money is still accruing pref.
1: Right. So even, even if the pro- property, as you said, sometimes value adds, don't realize their value until the sale, but if you if you buy a property for ten million, you sell it for twenty, and you had an eight percent prep, you did it in three years. Your investors are going to get twenty four percent before you even touch the deal. They're going to be made whole on the prep before the split even starts. Okay. Which is, I don't want to say the G word because we're trying to say guarantee at, at any time ever, but it's it's almost as good as a guarantee, assuming the deal does what you expect it to deal to do. So. Yeah, you know, press can be very, very beneficial.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's also show confidence of the sponsor. If a sponsor is really confident of the deal, give a prep. Yep. If you're not confident, then you can do a straight split, right? So uh, prep means I'm confident I'm good. This is gonna make money. Otherwise, I'm not making money, right? So right. and um, if
1: you're not confident, you shouldn't be doing the deal.
0: Yeah, what's the point, right? Sometimes people say, I just want to try No, whatever it is, we're just gonna split, right? It's a very easy way to say it, right? So if it if it goes down we go down together if it goes up it goes up together right but a really strong sponsor and this is how i say it, advanced investor advanced sponsors how wall street of uh, commercial real estate works is like they give a pref, right so um and also we talked about alignment of interest just now but on a pref, we are putting passive investor first right it's not even aligning we're just putting them right. ahead of this
1: so would you say you're preferring them
0: <laughs> yeah probably that's why maybe yeah, prefer, so I mean, right? that's so. what right?
1: A- that's what a pref is. You're, I mean, you're literally you're putting the investor in front of the GP. Correct. And for passives that are listening, or I hate to use the word passives for for people that are passively investing that are listening, you know, these can be very good opportunities for you. You know, depending on the deal, they can be very good opportunities. You have to look at the performance of the of the GP and clearly look at the asset. And you and I both like uh, value-add. Value-add are harder and harder to find, but now you have COVID value-add. So uh, poor property management right now creates some incredible value-add um, deals. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. So, so, I, so we're, we're, it motivates the sponsor to push overall performance. So when you and I are doing press with our um, investors on deals, we could not be more motivated to get more money because we're not going to get paid until our investors get their PREF paid in full. And so we have to do the best we can, or your wife and my wife are going to be very pissed off at us. Yeah, And it's important, it's, but it's important for passives and investors to understand that in that type of deal that, you know, it's not a heavy front loaded deal. Yeah, you may take an acquisition fee, but uh, I don't see a whole lot of deals where you're taking an acquisition fee, you're taking a due diligence fee, you're taking a a uh, exit fee, you're taking a refinance fee. Some do, but well, you
0: can do that on a straight split too, right? So they're
1: doing it on straight splits. Yeah. So yeah everybody do, not only, yeah, not only it they, it doesn't all, matter. Right? This. Yeah. So, I mean, in some of these deals, the manager is making far more than the, than the passive will ever make and the manager is using their money to do that. I mean, I guess good for that particular manager, but I can't see that lasting very long. Yeah. So talk about the last point.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's also, Prep structure can be creatively structured, right? While maintaining passive investors basically too. because when you say eight percent prep or seven percent prep, you're saying that fundamentally I'm gonna give you at least seven percent or eight percent in this deal, right? Which is awesome compared to any other investment outside. And I'm gonna make on top of that, right? And, and you know, to push more for uh, for active investor, you can creatively do more things on the back end, right? So let's go to the next slide and are we gonna
1: talk, we gonna talk about those more things on the back end? Yeah. Yeah, this we're getting in close to your type of deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, great. So I want to uh, I want to I want to go through this slide. This is completely new material. I have to create this for this uh, presentation. So it doesn't exist anywhere else uh, even not even my book. Right, I created this morning uh, and so let's look at four different market cycle, right? So market cycle phase 1 is recovery, right? Phase 2 is expansion, phase 3 is hypersupply. phase 4 is recession we are in a recession right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Don't believe anyone who said we are in a, We are. multifamily is still doing very well. I mean, they're still doing very well. It's still holding up, but in general, our economy is in a, is in a recession right now. Right. Right? So if you look at like if I put straight split and prefer return, it works very well during the phase one recovery and expansion because everybody makes money, you know, we, fundamentally everybody gets the prep return or 80, 20, 80, 20 uh, straight split. Everybody's making money. Right. But, But on a hyper supply, when people stop, like right now when COVID hits, a lot of sponsors have stopped paying. They said, okay, we want to reserve the cash, right? But on a straight split, they can do that, right? I mean, I I have a lot of deals on a straight split too, and I can do that too. I said, I want to reserve my cash, which is good. But if you look at passive investors, they are also not getting anything during this time because a straight split is a straight split. There's no promise, no catch up, nothing, right? On a pref, you have money being uh, accruing. So your money, money is still working for you during downtime. Right.
1: So, in hyper supply and recession, even if the asset is not performing for the next six months, you as an investor that has a pref, you know, you're still accruing, you know, that eight or nine percent. So, as we all know, assets, uh, real estate cycles. We're in a down cycle, but it cycles every nine years, 10 years, it cycles. So, you're going to hit the upswing and you kind of want to be in a pref in that scenario because you're going to get paid either way upon the sale before your. Your, your GP is going to get paid.
0: Yep. Absolutely. So, I, like I mean, the graph. yeah, I mean, as I said, now people are realizing right now because a lot of people are not getting paid for any, no distribution. And, you know, that can last for another two years and your money is not working, right? But on a pref, it accrues, right? Until a sale. And at least at the sale, the sponsor need to be at least catching you up back to whatever you lost in the year that was not paid off. Uh, you have to catch it up again. Let's Absolutely. go to the next slide and see. So let me give you an example. So on overall deal performance, um, so first earlier, we talked about uh, different economic cycle. Now it's different deal performance. This doesn't matter whether good times, bad times or not, even good times, even good times, I saw a lot of deals, which not doing very well because it was not bought right or the sponsor was not good. But, so an example on a deal performance where, you know, a deal is making 10%, right? Just assume it's 10%, right? But so when you look at straight split, let's say, assume 80-20, the passives make more than 8% because the deal is making more than 10%, right? So 80% of 10% is 8%, right? But on a prep return, passive makes at least 8%. On a deal performance where there's a gain of uh, at least 10%, passive make uh, 8%. And on a prep return, passive make at least 8% as well. But if the deal goes south, and making less than 10% for some reason, right? And and they are a lot of deals ghost out even during on the you know recovery right. and expansion. Right. Uh, on a straight split, look at that. Passive make less than eight percent, right? Because there's no uh, prep, right? So it's just whatever you you're going down with me, I'm going down with you, kind of thing, right? right? So down with the <laughs> everybody go down to the
1: James. I'd be willing to bet if we pulled the people on here right now, I would uh-huh. I would be willing to bet that the majority of people are not seeing 8% returns right now with COVID. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. So yeah. those that are in prefs that have an 8% prep, yeah, they won't see it today, but they're going to see it when it turns around. We all know COVID's going to go away. It's just a matter of time and the economy will build back up. And you'd like to be able to kind of have that, that return that's kind of been banked. And so it's, it's, it's essentially a, pr- it's almost like a promise to pay. You're going to get paid before the, the GP. And, and let's say hypothetically, you're, you're owed 24% on a three-year deal and the deal closes and only pays out 22%. Okay. You're still going to get 22%. GP is going to get nothing. Okay. So you can say the GP sucked, or you can say, man, I really like that GP because he or she, or they put themselves behind us and we know they went through some crap. And that's the other thing, you know, Investors see what the GPs make, and they see how hard the GPs uh, uh, work. And sometimes deals, sometimes deals don't turn out the way anybody had expected, or something comes up. So this right here, I'm a big, big, big proponent of press. You and I both are. Um, I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is for passives to look at these type of deals. It, it really puts them if not an equal playing field, a, a greater position than the GPs on these deals.
0: Oh, they are greater because they're getting a prep return. Right. So it's, a line, it's not even alignment of interest. This is putting investors first in front of the, before the GP. So let's go to the next one. Um, so this is actually figure 4.6 4. from my book, uh, which I wrote like almost two years ago, right? So I talked about what are the difference. I mean, I'm trying to be really, really... Um, objective about it right so you know waterfall structure which is a basically a prep structures versus uh straight split and pros is compensation upfront. i mean i was thinking that everybody do waterfall uh takes a lot of acquisition fee but you know i also realized that even on the straight split people are doing a lot of acquisition fee it's nothing yeah. wrong about acquisition fee as long as you can deliver your deal right don't i mean the worst thing is you people take a huge acquisition right. fee and never deliver anything. That's the worst, right? So, and there are a lot of deals like that too, right? So, but if you take acquisition fee and you give me a pref, okay, now you're confident and, and I know my position is protected, right? So,
1: and uh, I've, I said, I've seen some 4% acquisition fees recently. Oh yeah, yeah. Can you believe yeah. that? Yeah. So you get a $30 million deal and the acquisition fee is 1.2 million. Unbelievable. Okay. And, and, and they're able to raise capital, which blows me away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I wish I could do that.
0: Yeah. So I, here I, I just mentioned about who, who, you know, what's the benefit for deal sponsor and, uh, you know, straight split. Sometimes there's no pressure to give pref return on day one. Uh, but, you know, I, even when I wrote the book, I mean, when I wrote this content, I was not aware that pref return can be accrued, right? So even though you don't give day one, but it can be accrued as well. Right. Um, the cons is like it may take a few years for deal sponsor to receive compensation based on uh, you know, amount of work for value at deal. Right. So, so
1: James, let me stop you real quick. So yeah. you said something that's very important when you said you wrote the book two years ago mm-hmm. that you didn't realize pref can be accrued. Yeah.
0: I that's didn't know. About very, that.
1: So that's a very key, key statement that you made. It's not mm-hmm. that you didn't realize many, many deals out there that are prefs are not accruing prefs. So you want to oh, okay. ask the sponsors, whether the prep is accrue and catches up or whether it's just you get a prep year one, a prep year two, a prep year three. If, if you have an 8% prep in year two, it only pays out six. Well, you get all 6%, but year three starts all over again. So you okay. don't get that extra 2%. So actually when you, when you wrote this, you were thinking the right thing. Because okay. there aren't many deals where there's not a catch up on the prep. So it's very important that you, that you either talk to your sponsors, or your GPs, mm-hmm and or a lawyer who's reviewing your documents to make sure it's clear as to whether you are getting a catch-up or you're not getting a catch-up or a crew, as you put it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, we are in our own world. We think everything else is bad, but once you talk to people, once you become objective and look at open, bring down the barrier and you know, look at what exactly is good about it, then, you know, then you realize, Oh, okay, this is much better than what I have to do. Right. So, and there's pro and cons in both structure, right? So, um, yeah, I think the rest are what we gone, uh, what we just went through right now. And the deal type, you know, you can use both waterfall structure and straight split on both structures, and and um, you know, it works for you know any deep value add core or even yield play or even uh, value add deals, right? So, let's go to the next slide. Okay, so this is a structure that I I came up with after cracking my head. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I mean, it's, it's not like I came up with this. I mean, I already know some people are already doing it outside the market. But I was really analyzing because I was doing a lot of straight split, and a lot of my investors are used to straight split as well. I, and there's, there's people who have invested straight split throughout their whole life. They have in, invested millions of dollars. When they call me, James, why are you doing this, right? So then when I explained to them, they say, "Wow, that's much better structure than straight split, right?" So, so this is a structure where you know covers you know you know the three things that we talked about, right? First of all, it's like you know you can. So if you look at here, there's three types of level, the three classes. One's called a pref equity, where there's pref return of 10%, but you don't get paid anything on the back end, right? So this, you know, these three classes actually covers for different types of investor base. One who loves cash flow, uh, the other one who loves the back end upside, where it gets higher return but t- willing to take more risk. The last one, uh, common equity uh, for 500,000 minimum here they are basically for fund to fund or LLCs equity, right? But but the first two are the big one that, that I think I want to make sure that everybody understands. So you, there is a pref in between and the first one, even though 10% return, no back and upside, but they get paid first. After the lender get paid, they are the one who get paid. So their risk is really, really low.
1: So it, that's important. I'm, I'm working on a, a fund right now in Houston and ours is structured very similar. We actually have mm-hmm. four classes, not counting the GP, mm-hmm. but it's very very important again it's about pronouns i mean prepositions excuse me not pronouns prepositions as to a pref you can have several classes with prefs but you need to understand are they peri passu, which means there's ten thousand dollars and you have a nine percent eight percent and seven percent prep for each respective class and they could share equally in that until their buckets are full or are they not pay, pursue and there's a priority and I think in your scenario A1 preferred equity is actually a priority. I think you like we and correct me if I'm wrong. You're paying the 10% before A2 or A3 even get paid. Yeah,
0: yeah. A1 so that, get paid first. So yeah, if you
1: see that and a priority, so you can't be. You know, some people listening may poo poo. Oh, you know what? Nothing on the back end. Look, I'm in a couple deals right now where I wish I had an A1 10%. Uh, uh, preferred equity because I don't see a whole lot on the back end because the deals weren't managed the way I had expected them to be managed. Right. And so they haven't attained the value that I would have expected. Um, but I typical 85, uh, 15 split, but it's very important to note that it's not just a pref; It's also a priority. So it's one thing to say, you know, everybody gets a pref, but many people's funds I'm speaking out of experience because we draft these for hundreds of people. Um, the 10, 8, 9 in many cases are peripassu. So a dollar comes in and it's pro rata to A1, A2, A3. In your deal and my deal, a dollar comes in, it goes straight to A1 until A1's 10% bucket is filled. Then A2 and A3, you know, they get their money. And, and I think that's important for people to understand that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It works out well with uh, with the deal. That, I mean, all types of deal. I mean, even the deal that I recently did, I mean, my first year was like one or 2% return. I mean, on a straight split, that kind of deal may not be interesting for people, but when I say, Hey, you have a pref, even though I'm giving you one or 2%, but you still have another you know, 6%, you know, coming later, it's going to be accrued somewhere. So people are, yeah, fine with that. No problem. Right. But on a straight split, you can't do that. Right. Because you say, you know, let's, you know, either we go up together or we go down together on a straight right. split.
1: <laughs> And an 80-20 split of zero is still zero.
0: <laughs> correct, correct. So uh, this is the deal that we put in, uh, in way, you know, where, uh, you know, I think this kind of uh, a different structure where it matches investor preference and putting a pref, uh, you know, with a back and upside. Like here, you know, people talk about, um, I think, uh, yeah, we talked about 70-30 GP split. People said, hey, you are taking a lot of money, 70-30. But then I said, I'm giving you a pref. I'm promising you at least an 8%. Whereas on the 80, 20, there is no, there is not say promising. I'm, I'm, I'm not even, I'm giving, not you even giving you a pref. <laughs> right. So, so it really pushes the sponsor to focus a lot on improving the deal to, and totality, because you're going to make money on the back end, right. On on a refi, right. So you're going to make money on that. But at the same time, it's protecting the passive investor interests by at least putting a PREF over there. So there's a fundamental basic return that the passive investors will get from this deal, even before the sponsor gets it, right? So so this is a structure we put in. A lot of people love it. As I said, you know, there was a lot of uh, interest in the deal and people who are used to straight split, when I explained to them about the PREF, they said, oh, okay, that's better. That's better than, you know, the straight split, right? Because people want to make sure that their money works. right? right. And, it, and if you look at, like for example, Warren Buffer, right? I mean, how has he become a billionaire? If you look at the past 20 years, his money has been working at least 20% IRR every year. And so you, and some year, of course, it doesn't work as much as 20%. It goes to 9%, but at least the money needs to continue working, right? If it stopped working, like right now, let's, for example, COVID doesn't work for next two. I mean, something happened, COVID continues and nobody paying up for next two years. Your money is actually losing money right? because you're not working at all, right?
1: So... Here, here's an interesting um, concept, and I think a lot of syndicators don't get it, and, and you and I are completely aligned, <laughs> um, A3. So I don't even care if it's fund to funds. It could be somebody that has half a million dollars. It's a very high net worth individual. So I'm of the belief, and, and I'm probably going to say it um, politically incorrectly, which wouldn't be the first time I say something that's politically incorrect, but... I prefer someone coming in with half a million or a million dollars. I will pay them more because they shut up. They do the deal. They've got lots of money. They just want to see a check every month or every quarter and they leave me alone versus ten hundred dollars $100,000 investors who have lots of questions and don't necessarily read everything that's sent out to them. So for me, I try to reward those that put larger sums of money into my deal. It makes my life easier. I'll give up a percent like you see here, or even a little bit better split to someone that comes in with more money. And in an open fund where I'm raising money over a period of time, I will give a either a greater prep or a greater split to those that come in on day one that trusted me and the process versus those that come in next year after I've already picked up a couple assets you know that's great they like the deal but they're not coming in at a 90-10 split they're coming in at a 70-30 split you know these other guys that they, they they believed in me and what we were doing and you guys are waiting to see if we actually did it so your risk has been mitigated so because your risk is mitigated guess what your return is mitigated you didn't have the same risk but i really like a 3 and that's exactly the way we structured our last deal um, we used a 400k mark but it doesn't really matter you're rewarding those that come in whether it's fund to funds a family office a high net worth individual um, you really want those investors now they're unicorns um, you don't always get them but if they're coming it it starts reducing you know the amount of uh, 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 splits you have you you I personally would rather have four or five investors than 96 investors. Uh, it doesn't work that way all the time, but anyway, I don't want to go too much into fund of funds. There's, there are legal issues surrounding fund of funds that, I, that, some people do it the right way. Some people do it the wrong way. So we're not here to talk about it, but I think the point is, and you and I have talked at length about them. Um, and I've got one of those in our latest deal in Houston. It, they're, they're very lucrative. Um, and at, you know if you step back and you look at this, this whole presentation, the bottom line is you've made it very simple here in the structure. I don't mean it's a simple structure, but you've made it very easy to understand. You've, you're targeting three separate types of investors here.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: Typical deal, typical person listening here is targeting one type of investor. And so what you've just done is, and I think I started off at the beginning by saying, this is the busiest quarter I think I've ever seen. Not necessarily for legal work. I'm still catching up from Q2 and Q3 of nothing, but you've got Freddie that is not taking any more loans. You've got Fannie that's not taking any more loans for the rest of the year. It is the busiest quarter anybody's ever seen. And because it's the busiest quarter, guess what you, me, and every uh, body listening in right now, we're all fighting for capital. And so Not necessarily having to cut deals, but you need to make your deal look very lucrative to the capital that's out there because it's unique for uh, capital out there right now for passives. Passives have a choice. They have lots of choices. You know, we're at the end of the year. People are trying to get depreciation expense, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? There are a lot of opportunities out there. And in the past, while Q4 is busy, it's never been like this. So people have lots of opportunities. And one of the things I always tell people in everything is be patient, look at the deal, wait for the type of deal you like, because if you're, you have one of three types of investors here and one of these types of investors, all three of these are represented on this call. I'm not saying they're investing with me, but I I guarantee they're all three represented. This appeals to everybody. It's not just one investor. It's not just a, a club investor or a New York investor. It appeals to everybody. Well, I, had,
0: I had three people who wanted to invest in A3, but it was a bit too late
1: because we were like over, already oversubscribed. Send them <laughs> to me. Just but the people did
0: say, hey, I want to put, you know, 500,000.
1: I'll take them. It's fine. <laughs> I'll I'll, ta- I'll help you out. I'll take them. Yeah. So are you done with this slide?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, this is a slide. Oh my and, God. And, well, let yeah. me go back and and also the last point I made is preferred returns always based on the remaining money that's remain in the deal. Right. So if, if 50% of the money is uh, given back, so the preferred returns on the remaining 50%,
1: right. So. Right. So one of the things, and, and so that, what you just saw, and that James, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's your last deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's Did the deal that we finished? closed
0: yesterday. Yes.
1: So James and I are kind of lifting up the kimonos and kind of showing what we do for those of you that haven't invested with us in, 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 I'm not promoting my deal by any means, but we have a deal in Katy, Texas, and we just structured a four-class deal. Um, I, it's a, I prefer three, but we structured a four. It's pretty funny. It is almost identical. James and I talked about it, uh, I think, a week and a half ago when I asked you if you would uh, come on and talk. And so it's exact same thing. We have a 10% PREF. It is priority PREF. And it's interesting, the people that are looking at it are older, I would say in their 60s, we poll our investors. So in order for them to invest, they've got to go through a whole questionnaire, not an investor questionnaire. Just, by uh, the
0: Just to cut off, I had a CPA who invested in that class, big money. Right. You say, I'm well, going to do it. I mean, if a CPA doesn't know what he's doing, that's 10%, you know, every right. year, right? So- right. And
1: so CPAs are very risk adverse. That's their nature. They're B type people, they're risk adverse. Why would you not try to target 10, 15, 20 CPAs or even doctors who don't understand business and they just understand, okay, if I put money in, I get a return, I'm ahead of everybody else and I get paid before anybody else. Okay. That's not necessarily a bad deal versus, okay, if the asset does really well, I get a windfall, but if the asset doesn't do very well, eh, I don't make so much. That's the younger people. You know, I'm probably in the middle you're younger. I'm in the fifties, very, very low fifties, like 51. But so I'm not ready for the 10%, but I'll tell you, there's a part of me after this year where 10% doesn't look that bad on a couple of my deals. I would take 10%. uh, Had I knew uh, had I known uh, a year and a half ago that we'd be in this kind of COVID world right now, but nobody could have done that. But I think it's very key that, people take their time, they ask questions. You don't have to be, and it's not um, accusatory and it's not uh, confrontational to ask your GP questions. I think your GP would want to know that you're interested in how the deal is structured and nothing is worse as being a GP when people ask questions after they've already invested and you realize they don't know what they invested in. They don't know what the classes even represent. So as you know, both of us, Our jobs are to really educate people when we do our presentations on the funds. The asset is one thing, but I I might argue on something like this, the structures we do, it's at least 50% of explaining the different options people have. And you may have had this too. I've had people that will invest a portion of money in one and then also take a unit in in the 10%, because in their minds, it kind of evens them out, you know? It balances the,
0: the risk, right? That they, they, they get. Right. With the right.
1: Rate. It's the, uh, it's the, I'm putting everybody back on a regular view. Yeah. It, it you know, you would argue that it, it balances out your risk. Um, so before we take questions and I'm sure there are some, questions, um, James, you and I are talking about value add deals mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I think we've had a couple, I wouldn't say arguments, but discussions on, on whether they're there or not, my argument is, or my argument, my position is we're coming off of a, a market where the val, many of the value add deals have just been scooped up. People got very lucky uh, with uh, compressed uh, cap rates and they did very well, but the value adds are harder to find. And I mean, value adds by this is a dump that's in a good area, and I need to put in, you know, seven to 10 grand a door, versus mm-hmm. this is a deal where it's been rehabbed, it's, it's market uh, appearance, but the property management has suffered tremendously during COVID, didn't know what they were doing, and they're at 81% or 82% occupancy. So from my position, that's a value add, because... Oh, yeah, management
0: plays is absolutely a
1: value right? add. And that's the easiest thing to increase the value in. We all know if, if it was doing 92 to 95% pre-COVID and now you're in COVID and it's doing 82%, that's very easy to explain. That should be very easy to explain to investors. If the investors don't understand that. You don't want them as investors. Um, that's like a home run if you can find it. Uh, and I know you and I are looking hard for those, uh, <laughs> those nuggets out there. Yeah but, yeah uh, the one
0: i'm closing uh, i mean the one i closed yesterday is a forbearance deal i mean that's like nobody have been paying not say nobody i mean that's i think like 20% of the people not paying any rents because they know the whole uh, deal is in forbearance right so so right. now today we go and tomorrow we're going to start telling them hey you know you it's no more in forbearance you have to pay
1: so right
0: good surprise for them
1: watch watch q2 q3 i keep telling everybody on the single family we did a ton of single family over the last 6 years the market is gearing up for a huge dump of single family out there. They're at 9% um, uh, default rate. It's been holding at 9%. Everybody's getting forbearance and I don't care who's in office. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. The banks are going to shed some of this debt. They have to, they're not going to go through what they did before. So there's going to be just like, you're going to see it in single family. You're going to see it in multifamily. Well, I think the interesting thing is people are going to have to decide do they want to go after these deals in Florida or, you know, uh, Georgia or um, Las Vegas. Yeah, Las Vegas. So Las Vegas and Phoenix. People think, oh, Phoenix, it's the best market ever. Look at the look at the returns. and and I'm a big proponent of Phoenix. So I'm not dissing Phoenix MSA, but I was also a hard money lender in the 2008 through 2012. And let me tell you the property prices uh, in Phoenix for single family dropped by 70% in many of the areas. So to say that the values have increased, yeah, they increased from their very low, which was 60 to 70% below what they initially priced. They overbuilt Phoenix right before the market tanked. And so the worst thing could happen is you overbuilt with the expectation of people coming in the market tanks. Vegas is vegas they're building it but you know when you have covid it just destroys it's like orlando it has a massive impact when the majority of your you know your business your gdp is is based upon tourism uh, i can speak personally on new orleans where i had a daughter that went to tulane and the city of new orleans has absolutely been decimated it was a hope nobody hears from new orleans it was a shithole to begin with Uh, with the hurricanes and everything, but the tourism kept it alive. You cut out tourism. I can promise you that very few people on this uh, website right now that would actually walk in the French Quarter right now in New Orleans. We did, and it scared my wife. We were shocked um, that the one there was nobody there, everything was boarded up. It's unbelievable. So I think one of the things to remind people, we kind of are in a bubble in Texas. Um, It's a very good bubble, I don't think it's a made, believe, make up, uh, made up bubble. I think the economy is strong here. I think people are moving here. Jobs are here. Um, people are careful when it comes to COVID, but not uh, freaky. And I say that and I'm now in 14 day quarantine because my daughter was just tested positive with COVID. But um, I'm still able to do this show. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not infecting anybody while I'm doing it. I tested negative. Not that anybody cares, but uh, my team cares. I'm still here team. Um and James cares, but I there are great opportunities out there right now. Great, great opportunities. We picked up one pre-COVID, it was listed at 44 million. Um, and we picked it up for 36.25. Okay. They're not all deals like that, but they're deals out there, and they're great deals, especially if they're off market. James, I'm assuming yours was off market. Yeah, off market. Yeah. The off-market um are incredible deals. And one of the things that I tell people, and we get a lot of new people that are calling, don't be afraid to get a deal. There are at least 80 or 90 people sitting here listening right now that would love to partner with someone that can find the deal, but isn't able to necessarily operate it by themselves. You know, I, I, there's a whole podcast and a whole, uh, not podcast, but a whole show on, on our um, uh, YouTube that says how to pick the right partner, picking the right partner is like picking the right wife. It's sometimes more important. Um, Not that picking your wife is not important, but uh, uh, it's very important, but there are plenty of people on here. I can just see the faces that I know would do deals. If you're the guy that actually, or gal that actually locks in on a deal, but then you're like, Oh shit, how the hell am I going to raise $13 million? Talk to James. James might be interested in that type of deal. I'm not saying he is, but James
0: might, James might
1: want to partner on that type of deal if it's a value add deal. And it's not just James. It's, It's Jefferson, it's Malay, it's uh, Jim. I'm just calling out names just, uh, and I'm sure it's David, but David's not allowed to partner with Slava's not allowed to partner with anybody but me. Um, I see him smiling in his game chair uh, at the bottom. But uh, um, I just, I want to encourage people to continue to go after deals. I highly recommend you read James's uh, book. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of books and a little tidbit. I actually was one of the first people probably in this entire group that had a book published on Amazon. Jeff actually helped me publish it on Amazon. Jeff, do you remember that hard money made easy? I do. I think it's still on there somewhere. It's still on there. And if any of you buy it, I'm going to shoot you because it was written in a different way a long, long time ago. You guys think I'm a smart-ass now? I was well, a different- it's in some account that you don't have access to anymore. Right. So I'm apparently still making royalties on the book, but I have no idea how to access it or what bank account it even uh, uh, is on. Um, Texas lost think- money. I'm pretty sure I beat James on sales, but I'm not going to argue with him. <laughs> it's been out there since 2008. So, James, I have a little heads up on you. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. A little running, running room on you. My yeah. it's yeah, you're, you're right there. Cindy, do we have any questions? Were there any questions that you saw? There's a couple of uh, networks on here. But someone, James, asked, what other fees do you take um, aside from an acquisition fee?
0: So we do the asset management fee 2%. Uh, we have our own property management 3%. And uh, usually we do buyer broker fee because we find a lot of uh, off-market deals ourselves. Uh, could be like 1% to 2%. That's it, right? So uh, very simple and lean and mean. Sounds
1: good. Um, do you prefer to distribute monthly or quarterly?
0: We usually like to do quarterly, but we are, once the property is stabilized, we like to go to monthly, right? I mean, I, I do not know how people can pay monthly from day one. Mm-hmm. There's no way on a cap rate, on a, on a leverage that people do, there's nobody can pay 8% prep on a day one. The only way they do it is create a separate account and just paying out from there. It's not from real estate. Right. And I do like to do that. I like to create money, take money from real estate and pay the investors, even though it doesn't look cool. Right. Yeah.
1: There.
0: So yeah, we 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 are only we all our money come from real estate. So you know you you have to wait on a quarterly basis. Sure. Once we stabilize, we are moving to a monthly.
1: James, you must have a good CPA.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's from Dallas. <laughs> do,
1: I, do I have a good CPA? Cindy? Yes, you do. T- Tandy down there who's laughing. <laughs> Tandy's our CPA. And, uh, okay. and um, so it's, so I'm, I'm probably one of the few I'm different. So I'm, I'm one of those, if you build it, they will come and there are others have them come and then I will expand. So I have always wanted to invest in incredible people and hire people much smarter than me. That's why you guys work with Cindy and not me and Greg and not me and Jeff and Rob, and not me. I just I'm in the back. I I know how to hire people, but I don't know how to do anything else. But you you hire a team so that you know, like when you're at James's level and you've got you know 28 billion dollars in properties. um, I'm kidding, 130 million or whatever whatever the number is. He's at a big number right now. Um, You, it's not a one person shop, and you need to make sure not only do you have a team, you have a team that's going to last. You don't want to just have somebody then they go away and find somebody else and go away. It is a nightmare. It's like trying to find a new lawyer. Um, Lawyers are are assholes to begin with. So it's once you find the one that's the least asshole or someone nice and smart like Greg or Cindy, you know, then you've got it made. Um, Cindy, were there any other questions you had? Uh, Let's see. How does the draft work with a refi? If the property is refied and the new amount is on a higher value, should the PREF be paid first before the money goes to the rehab or GP?
0: Yeah, the way I've structured is PREF is always paid on the remaining money, right? So, you know, you still get 8% PREF on whatever remaining money that's left. And on top of that, you split, you know, 70-30 or 80-20 or whatever.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost like, uh, James, it's almost like we should build a... um, Uh, a little spreadsheet Mm -hmm. to show people kind of real life examples. Maybe you and I can put something together and we can send it out to, uh, to this group because they have good questions. And, you know, we spent just a short period of time going over it, but these are, these are key. And I'm just looking through, there are a lot of people here that are syndicators. And uh, I think this is, you know, again, I'm going to, I'm going to qualify this with make sure if you're in an investment club or group, this doesn't violate your investment club or groups um, kind of rules because they have certain parameters. They'd like their investments to to be their syndicators to be uh, structuring their deals. For those of you that aren't or or don't have those requirements, these are very lucrative. Um, I'm speaking on behalf of David. He and I have done several uh, already like this, uh, David, down there in the gaming chair uh, with the um, uh, air traffic control headphones. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I'm not going to well, talk. Well, I had, uh, there is one question that was uh, sent to me. Uh, someone wants to know why 1030, uh, 1031 component is never offered in syndication.
0: Oh, it is offered, right? I think there are some people who are offering that. There's some. If it's a big money, yes, we can offer it because you can always structure the ten thirty one as a as a partner on a thick model plus with the syndication, right? So, but it might need to be a big money because there's a lot more paperwork and all kind of complication comes in. Right? Jeff,
1: structure. unmute uh, Greg. Greg wants to say something. Oh, yeah. I would. Yeah, no, it, t- stay away from ticks if at all possible, uh, <laughs> unless it's a huge capital partner that you're really trying to appease. uh... Be very weary of, uh, of ticks. So, my, my, my discussion, you guys have heard me probably 10 times, those of you that haven't. So, t- think of a tick like a marriage, um, because everything is kind of community property. There's no special division. But the problem with ticks is they're even a higher rate of divorce in ticks than there is in marriage. And I think the latest numbers with COVID is it's about a 55% divorce rate. I would say TIC's divorce rate is much higher than that. And the litigation is great for litigation lawyers and horrible for TIC members. So the deal with ticks is when they work, they're really, really good. And when they don't work, they're really, really bad. I don't know anybody that has just done a tick and said, eh, it was okay. Um, it either, either is a home run or you end up suing each other because you can't stand each other and there's no way to get each other out. But I agree with James, you know, if a tick comes in with four or five million dollars or a, a 1031, you may try to figure out a way to structure that, but make sure you have numerous exit strategies and ways to to bring that capital back in if the tick dissolves.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had an investor ask me to invest uh, 900,000 in, in the race that I did. But by the time, I mean, we, we need to raise like seven and a half million. But so now I said 900,000 is too small for, for me to go through the entire, unless I can't raise the money, then I can right. structure, right? So
1: it's too small until it's not too small, right? <laughs> too small. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. But that that's,
0: was a big uh, amount from TIC, uh, that 1031 uh, money that wanted to come in.
1: So um, I think that's, Cindy, anything else?
0: No, you're good.
1: So if anybody has questions, you guys are welcome to uh, shoot me an email. So what we're gonna do as we always do is we're going to um, make this available with the PowerPoint. Um, All of James's information will be sent to everybody. Um, And I think a link to your book, right James? He's on mute, Jeff.
0: I think I gave the link to uh, you, Jeff, and you right. guys
1: can send that out. Yeah. So they'll have that tomorrow. And then that way, if you guys have any questions, um, you can email James directly too. And, and again, I want to sure. thank James a lot for, uh, for being on this and driving all the way from his kitchen to his study, <laughs> in his house.
0: Yeah. Well, and- I'm just happy because sometimes uh, people don't explain things very well. And sometimes you are in a cocoon and you think, I mean, as I said, right, when I was writing my book, I was thinking profit return doesn't uh, accrue. And now I realize sometimes accrue, sometimes it doesn't accrue, right? So you always have to just expand your you know, knowledge. You're talking to different people and just talk and make your right decision, right? I mean, this is a free world, right? So-